verse 23, verse, uh, 23 through verse 29. Faith's choices. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw that he was a proper child. And they were not afraid of the king's commandment. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. That's a significant uh, thing there when we think about it, why he refused and what he refused. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect under the recompense of the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Through faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, which the Egyptians, are saying to do, were drowned. Father, we ask that you'd add your blessing to the reading of thy word, and we pray that as we think about these choices that Moses made by faith, that you'd help us to make the same right choices. We think also, Lord, about the, the fearlessness of his parents and the fearlessness of Moses that's mentioned in here. Help us to uh, learn to have by faith that kind of fearlessness of the powers that be and the a world uh, outside of uh, our um, uh, Christian experience. And so, Father, we pray that you bless the reading of thy word now, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Tough riding your horse in a battle with a trombone, you know. <laughs> so, so we're appreciative of that, and uh, I'm looking for the, the trump to sound uh, when Jesus uh, announces his uh, coming. It's going to be with a trumpet call, so we're excited about that, and uh, we're blessed to have some folks that uh, will, uh, will minister to us in that way and, and honor the Lord with that. So take your Bible back to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, we want to talk about Moses' faith choices. The word faith occurs in the Bible quite a few times, 230 plus times. It is um, mentioned only twice in the Old Testament, though, and one is in the context of people that have no faith. The only time it's mentioned positively in the Old Testament, it is a just shall live by his faith. And so, uh, it just once there in a positive light in the Old Testament, yet, uh, uh, yet we see in the Old Testament multiple, multiple examples of uh, the faith of people and the actions that were produced because of their faith in God. So, it's not that faith is not present in the Old Testament, it's just that the term faith is not used prominently until we reach the New Testament era and have the scriptures completed for us. So we thank God that uh, this example of faith coming from the Old Testament can be uh, an example given to us by the life of Moses. Our lives that we live in the world are lived really from the inside out. And what's in our heart and what's in our mind is what eventually works out. Now we can keep it in for a while, we can hide it for a little while, but what is in your heart and what is in your mind eventually comes out and, and you uh, have uh, that testimony. So uh, that's, that's the way it is. That's just the way it is, you know. Uh, uh, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So we live our lives from the inside out. And here is a man that possessed that 
genuine faith inside that found its expression uh, throughout the course of his life. And we have his testimony as we've read it here uh, this evening. Uh, of all the Old Testament characters mentioned in the New Testament, Moses is the most prominent one. He's mentioned more often than any other Old Testament character uh, in your New Testament. And we have his wonderful testimony of faith here in the passage that we just read. And he is uh, so prominent that, of course, the, the Jews looked to him as really the central figure of uh, Judaism. The, uh, the law of God came more to be known as the law of Moses. We hear more that term used, and we read it in the Bible, the law of Moses or Moses' law. And so, though it's the law of God, God's the one that gave it. Uh, it, is, it has Moses' name attached to it. And so, um, he is really the central figure of Israel's experience. But still, from a New Testament perspective, as a New Testament Christian, we have a great example of faith given to us in the life of Moses. I want to take a few moments and just uh, develop the, the um, passage that we have a little bit and challenge you in your walk of faith. First of all, we see the faith of Moses didn't begin with Moses. In fact, the term by faith, uh, Moses was hid. We know Moses didn't have anything to do with his hiding in the first uh, uh, three months of his life. So we know that 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 uh, passage refers to the faith of Moses' parents. The faith of Moses began with the faith of his parents. Though they were common slaves under Egyptian taskmasters, Amram and Jochebed, uh, Jochebed were of the tribe of Levi. And uh, they obviously had been looking in faith to God's deliverance, to the promise that God would eventually come and deliver, <coughs> deliver them from the bondage of the Egyptians. And so it was their faith that was involved in their decision to do everything they could to uh, skirt the law and avoid the law, uh, avoid the legal system, and, and to hide the, their child. The, the, uh, their, their need was to hide him from the authorities because the law had said, Every child born to the Israelites was to be thrown, cast into the river. And so their faith had to be involved in that. And their faith was involved in that they, uh, the Bible says they saw that he was a proper child. And some of the other places where the, where the uh, fact is, uh, is reconciled, we see in the book of Acts uh, that he is a goodly child. They saw he's a goodly child. The term proper is a remarkable word. If you have an Oxford English Dictionary and you want to look up the entomology of the word and see how it was used at the time it was uh, incorporated in the authorized version, you see, uh, you see it's a little bit different, a little fuller than we understand it now. Today we think of proper as, you know, the, the proper attire and, and proper being the right in the right place, you know, that kind of thing. <clears throat> but, but proper there meant much more than that. It meant uh, peculiar, set apart, uh, unique, special, and so um, when they looked at Moses, they saw something in Moses' baby. Uh, they saw that God has, had his imprint upon Moses, and they somehow knew by faith that God was going to do something remarkable with this uh, little one. So uh, by faith, they, uh, they uh, did what they could to hide him those three months. And uh, as we think of those parents' faith in preserving the life of Moses, we can't help but draw a parallel with our responsibility as parents and grandparents tonight. We too uh, have the place of uh, Jochebed and Amram 
as we think about how we're going to protect our children from the uh, devastation that the world has to offer to them. And so as parents, the, the first line of responsibility that we have is to live a life of faith before our kids. Our uh, responsibility as parents is, is a very important one that we recognize that it is our faith that they're going to look to for the first example of faith. The first ideas that your children will have about what God is like will be uh, what you are like. If you were angry and, and uh, short-fused uh, and temperamental and self-centered, uh, the children can't help but attribute that kind of, uh, that kind of a picture to any other authority above them because the first authority that they know in their lives is the mom and the dad. So if we as mom and dad, as grandmother and grandfather, are not living lives that reflect the faith that we say we possess, really, uh, we're really short-circuiting our kids' opportunity to understand God as He is. So it's really important for us to get that, you know. Uh, a lot of kids, a lot of times kids get the blame for things that really are rooted in uh, us as parents uh, irresponsibility and lack of, uh, of taking our position seriously as our kids are growing up. And I understand that, you know, when a kid comes of age, when a child comes of age, we, the, what, whatever we've done or not done, it's, uh, it's up to them now to make the choice of right or wrong, and it's, and it's going to be the way it is. And I understand, too, that many of you here had parents maybe that weren't ideal parents at all. I am one of those examples. My dad was certainly not the ideal example of a, of a dad. He wasn't a Christian, or if he was, he never, he never revealed it uh, to us until the day he died. So, uh, so um, certainly, I understand that. You can, you can be in a family like that and still uh, come out making the right choices. I recognize that. But it's just a whole lot easier if mom and dad are what they claim to be in their personal lives, in their day-to-day walk, in the way they make their decisions, in the way they live, the way they treat each other and so forth, it's just a whole lot easier for the kids to get it, who God is and what God will, uh, will be to them when the time comes. Whatever it was that Amram and Jochebed embedded into their son in the brief time they had with him, it was a good thing and, and it reflects their, their faith. Our, our children need that example from us as parents. These parents of Moses were given great courage by their faith. It said they weren't afraid of the king's commandment. Now the king's commandment was death to anyone that, that uh, did not obey it. The king's commandment was death. You know? They weren't afraid of the king's commandment. They weren't frightened uh, by the authority of the most powerful kingdom and king in the world because they had faith that God was going to do something with this child. And so uh, what, a, uh, what a blessing it is to recognize the courage that faith gives to those that exercise it. They weren't afraid of the king's commandment, the scripture tells us. Faith of the right kind has a lot to do with the courage it takes to do the right things. And if you've got the faith of the right kind, you're going to also have the courage to do the right things. And it does take courage to do the right things. It's, it's, not, you know, it's not easy to do right when everyone around you is going a different direction. It's not easy to uh, keep a testimony for Christ when all around you are those who are not. And so I recognize that. I'm blessed as a pastor 
uh, to be able to have a job where I get, I get to be around a lot of Christians, you know. And out during the week when I'm knocking on doors or talking to people in the, in the interaction with our culture, uh, certainly I have some exposure to that, but uh, many of you are, are, you know, eight hours a day in that kind of an environment where all around you are those who have motives that are not yours, and all around you are those that have ideals that are not yours. All around you are those that have uh, uh, desires that are not yours, and, and yet in the midst of that, you have the opportunity to uh, have the courage uh, of faith to live for Christ uh, when, um, when all around you there are those who are not. That's a lot more difficult for you than it is for me because I'm, uh, you know, kind of expected of a preacher to, you know, to act like a preacher, you know. I kind of expect when you, say, when you introduce yourself as a pastor of a church that, you know, you're going to, you're going to say something about the Lord, <laughs> you know. It's a, but with you and your, where you work and, and what you're doing, it's not as easy for you as it is for me. I recognize that. I get that. And uh, that's, where, uh, that's where courage comes into the picture. Uh, but if you have the right kind of faith, you'll also be given the right kind of courage to act in a fashion that honors and glorifies the Lord even before uh, a world that uh, is not doing that around you. So that was the way it was with uh, Amram and Jochebed. They had this courage, this <clears throat> lack of fear of the culture and of the government and of the edict that was given. And what a blessing it was to see that faith begin to, uh, to have its results even in the life of Moses as a little youngster. Now, the faith of his parents did become the faith of Moses. For the Bible says there, we read it, when he was come to years. At some point in his uh, maturity, when he was come to years, he made a choice. Now, the, the passage that we uh, re read the original account in doesn't tell us how old he was, but subsequent passages do, and the book of Acts is one of those, tells us he was full 40 years of age. And so... It, it was 40 years old that he got to the point where he made the cut, where he made the decision. I'm certain, though, that it wasn't just at the age of 40 that he began to consider these things. He, uh, from the earliest accounts, from the earliest recollections of his memory, he must have remembered some of the things, that he, the lessons, the, the, uh, uh, the truths that were inculcated into his uh, being by his parents. He must have remembered those things because the scripture says he came to a point where he made a very momentous decision. And uh, when he was come to years, he said, I am rejecting, I am refusing to anymore be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. I'm refusing that and I'm choosing rather to, uh, to identify myself with another people the people of my parentage, the people of my heritage, the people of my lineage. How did he know that, but that those, had, those truths had been instilled in him early on in his life? We have no record that his parents had any opportunity to have any interaction with him after he went into the palace. We have no uh, indication that uh, the, the, uh, uh, the, the relationship that they had continued in any way after he went into the palace and uh, the, the surrender of him to, to Pharaoh's daughter to raise as her own son, it is quite evident that, uh, that there weren't going to be Hebrew slaves coming and going to the palace to you know, have lunch with the Pharaoh and the, and the kids and the family around the, the, the table in the palace. That's obviously not the way it worked. You know? And so uh, whatever, whatever he got, he got when they were 
when they had him that brief time until he was weaned, until he was uh, old enough to uh, be given over to her to, uh, to educate. And so uh, when that was, uh, is any, anyone's guess, you know, a, a child weaned was weaned usually later than uh, we think of it now, you know, uh, when we think of a child being weaned from his mother now, was usually a longer period of time, and it may have been up to the time he was old enough to enter into the first stages of his learning experience uh, in the Egyptian system, it may have been up to that time, but whatever it was, it was long enough for mom and dad to, to give him uh, some truths that stuck with him all of his life, so that's a great thing, but at some point, all of us have to come to that same place. At some point, every, every person uh, that has been raised, particularly if you've been raised in a Christian home, at some point, y- you have to, you know, make the choice yourself. To be raised in a Christian home doesn't make anybody a Christian, does it? And I've talked to folks that have said, well, I've always been a Christian, you know. I read my grandparents were Christian, my parents were Christian, and I've just been raised up in the Christian home. And uh, as, far as, I can, I, as far back as I can remember, I've always been a Christian. But, uh, but at some point... You know, it has to be what happened with Moses. At some point, there has to be a choice made uh, to turn from Egypt and uh, turn to Christ. You know, and so uh, every one of us has that has that responsibility. Uh, no one becomes a child of God by virtue of being in a Christian family. No one becomes a child of God because they're in a church building. You know, no one becomes a car because they stand inside a garage. You know, so so. Uh, it is true. It has to come to that place of decision. And the fact that Moses made this dramatically life-altering decision in his adult years certainly indicates that his parents, in the brief years they had with him, uh, were able to get that across to him. He refused to become, uh, he refused to be called any longer the family of the Pharaoh. He said, I have a, I have a family uh, that's uh, on the other side of the tracks, and I'm going to go and identify with them. So we look thirdly at the faith building that uh, God uh, incorporated into Moses' life. Moses had all the privileges. He had all the power. <coughs> he, had, he was at the seat of power. The most powerful entity in the world at that time was Pharaoh. And uh, so he had power, and he had uh, unimaginable privilege as a prince he wouldn't have likely, uh, it would have been very odd, uh, very unusual, very unique if he had elevated, he had been elevated to the place of ruler in, in Egypt. <coughs> it would have been uh, highly unlikely, possible, but highly unlikely. And so the likely course would have been that he would have just remained as one of the royalty and would have enjoyed a life of luxury, <coughs> all that he would ever want, all that he could ever imagine. He had all the wealth at his disposal that he wanted. Any power that he wanted it could be granted to him. And so he had all of these things, but all of those things did not settle the question that he had in his soul. You know? And so uh, none of that solved the, the, uh, you know, the, the longing in his life. <coughs> none of that came to that place. The Acts records, the book of Acts uh, account of this records that he was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. Now, the Egyptians were remarkable people for their uh, wisdom, for their human wisdom. I mean, it was amazing. It's still amazing today. I mean, people today still can't figure out exactly how they did it, you know, how they, how they built those pyramids and how they had such a remarkably advanced society and culture. 
how they lived in a blazing desert in comfort, and uh, all these things were remarkable, and are yet remarkable today, you know. So remarkable that some spin yarns about, well, the aliens must have come down and built it for them, you know. Uh, spaceships came down and built it for them. Well, no, that is not so. Uh, the Egyptians just had remarkable wisdom. Understand that uh, when Adam and Eve were created, they had, uh, they had brains and wisdom that was, uh, was unadulterated uh, by sin. And so... Uh, as we as we progress downward in the uh, in man's uh, you know fall, as we progress downward, uh, uh, a lot of things uh, you know get corrupted and get corrupted. And you saw that the, it came to the place where the whole world, the whole imagination of the world, was only evil continually, and God had to destroy the world at that point. And so uh, so we move not you know we don't we don't uh, move from low to high. We move from high to low. Uh, it's the you know the second law of thermodynamics is still in effect. That uh, you know that we that things tend from order to disorder, and so it's not the other way around. As 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 it's a it's a quandary for the um, for the evolutionists. It's a quandary for the those that have uh, are involved in the religion of scientism, and what's taught in many public schools is not science, uh, holy science. A lot of it is scientism. It's a religion. <coughs> it's a religion that uh, flies in the face of facts, and so. Scientism is a religion uh, with uh, many of these that, that uh, practice the religion of evolution. And evolution is clearly a religion. Even those that uh, have recently recognized Darwin's theory, uh, as I mentioned in the bulletin today, Dar Dar Darwin's theory of evolution has fallen completely apart in the face of the facts that now we have in our possession, facts, uh, scientific facts that we have in our possession. Darwin's theory is just wrong. It's just altogether wrong. It's not possible uh, for it to be applied, and yet it still continues to be taught in public school systems and, and taught, but more as a, you know, there's a reverence about Darwin that he's elevated to, to, to uh, scientist, scientistic sainthood, and, and um, he's worshipped he's worshipped in these centers, these worship centers that the world has set up, but all these are is an alternative to the truth of God's word. They're, they're, they're way for people to have a religion without uh, bowing the knee to Jesus Christ, and so, so they have this. Uh, they have this going on, but it really, it really uh, flies in the face in their face the the, uh, the entropy and uh, and the law of th thermodynamics, which indicates that everything everything left to itself, unless there is an outside influence that enters into it, everything just left to itself tends from order to disorder. Everything goes to decay. Everything goes to rot, you know, and, and that's, the, that's just the, the way it is. Things don't just, you know, become better and better and better by themselves. The only way that changes is if there's an outside influence that enters into that, uh, to that system. It has to be from the outside that changes things. And so, <clears throat> so that is, you know, that's simple fact and provable. It is very uh, evident in, in every area of life, it is very evident in every area of chemical life, biological life, uh, you know, and, and mathematical uh, life, any, any discipline you want to apply it to, it's evident there in any of those areas. And so you have, uh, you have uh, the, the degeneration taking place, but when we look back in ancient cultures, we see remarkable things that indicates to us that there were uh, th there were people that knew things that we're, we're just learning of in this present generation. There are people that knew how to do things that we still don't know 
exactly how they could accomplish them. And so um, how could they, you know, how could they cut those stones to the precision that they, they were so well fit together that you couldn't slide a piece of paper between the blocks of limestone uh, in any of the directions when they set them into place? How were they so uh, incredibly accurate? Well, we don't have all the answers yet, uh, but, but uh, we do know something, that they had a great deal of wisdom, of human wisdom, of uh, architectural and engineering skills that was that were uh, legendary. And so here was Moses, and he was exposed to all of that uh, body of knowledge. He was given exposure to that, and he was a diligent student, apparently, because the Bible says he learned it. He did learn it. He got it, you know. Isn't that something that a man of his uh, learning, a man of his wisdom, humanly speaking, who had mathematical genius, who had, uh, who had a, a working knowledge of astronomy, uh, of uh, the sciences, of all of the uh, medical abilities that they had, and they were remarkable. Uh, all of those things Moses had and the capabilities that he had in his mind, uh, humanly speaking, and yet we find him uh, trading all of that, and we find him at one point tending sheep on the backside of the desert. <laughs> this genius, this man of learning, this man of royalty, this man of stature, this a goodly man, all of the things, all the characteristics that you would think were the best characteristics, uh, characteristics to have in a most successful life were, were Moses possessed them. And yet he's tending sheep out in the desert someplace for his father-in-law, a Midianite, in a desert called Midian. So uh, how, uh, how things change. But he made the choice to, to leave that life of luxury and uh, to accept a, an entirely different life from what he had been raised in. He left an elite station in life, and he went to a people who were reproached, who were broken, who were spiritless, who were hopeless, who were crushed under bondage, who had no organization, who had no understanding of self-government whatsoever. Uh, their, their whole experience had been from birth to life to death under the hand of the taskmaster in slavery. That's all they knew. And so he's trading this luxury and this pleasure and this life of, of wonderment and wisdom, knowledge, access to the best uh, libraries in the world and access to the best sciences in the world and all of those things he's trading to go to be uh, among a people who themselves would not uh, willingly accept him. But the Hebrews, with all their faults, were still the people of God. The choice. It wasn't because of them. It was God's choice. God chose them to be the ones through whom he'd send the Savior and the ones through whom he'd send the Word. God chose them. So with all their faults, they were still the people of God. And the Egyptians, with all their culture and all their wisdom and all their discipline and all their knowledge and all their libraries and all their wealth, were not the people of God. And so he chose, he made that choice to... Uh, uh, to put his stake and to put his testimony with the people of God. He left pleasures and treasures for afflictions and reproaches. We just read it. And so he is. Such a choice has got uh, no basis in human reasoning. It just doesn't sound right at all. And when we apply our human reasoning, why would such a person do that? Our human reasoning would say, Moses, even, 
even if uh, you know you wanted to help the people of God, couldn't you do it better if you were there under the seat of power and you could have influence in the government? And couldn't you do it better if you had wealth to disperse to them and, and you could financially help in so many ways? Couldn't you do it better from that position than leaving that position and identifying yourself with a people that have no power, no influence, no wealth, no government, no order? Moses, it just makes much more sense, humanly speaking, that you stay there and influence the people and help the people from the position you occupy. Human reasoning would say that, but faith told him something else. Faith told him to step out and trust God for the future. And so he left it. He left the pleasures. He left the treasures. He said, I'll take the reproaches. I'll take the afflictions instead. And when he left, he, uh, he uh, recognized something in the fact that he was leaving it. He knew, that, he knew that the pleasures were pleasurable. And there's no denying that the pleasures of sin are pleasurable. It's true. Uh, none, of a, none of us denies that. We all have experienced it. We know it. The pleasures of sin are pleasurable, but they're just for such a short season. And he got that. He understood that. The pleasures of sin are for a season. He saw that. And so he said, I'm going to go after that which is eternally pleasurable. Not just a short season, you know. The pleasures of sin are brief, but the pains that are associated with that sin are long-lasting pains. The... Uh, the, the fact is that the pleasures of sin don't long satisfy. It's just for the moment, just in the moment. They're so momentary. The pleasures of sin don't satisfy. I want to tell you, when you know it, you know it, and I know it, when we've done something good or when we've, uh, we've put in a good day's work or we've accomplished something that has meaning, when we've done something right, there is a long-lasting pleasure that's associated with that, a sense of fulfillment that I didn't waste the day that it didn't waste my time, that something was accomplished of purpose in it. Something done for good, something done for right, and there's no regret in that. There's no regret that's connected with it that comes with that. So uh, the pleasures of sin are different than that. The pleasures of sin are for the moment pleasurable, but they always, always, always have unseen attachments. You know, they got strings attached to them. You can't see them. But uh, when you're done with that brief pleasure, the strings are attached to things that just drag along. They just keep dragging along and dragging along. The pleasures of sin have those attachments with him. Well, on the other hand, you look at the afflictions that he's going to, the afflictions and reproaches of the people. Uh, they don't have those kind of attachments. The afflictions and the reproaches were temporary, but the rewards that he gained were eternal. And that's the way it is with us. Our afflictions that we have as Christians, we are going to have them. If you live for Christ, if you keep a testimony, if you, uh, you, know, if you live differently from the world, there's going to be times where you're going to suffer affliction. You're going to be maligned. You're going to be mocked sometime. You'll be laughed at. You'll be ridiculed in some circles. You'll be uh, looked upon, looked down upon. You may be passed over for uh, advancement in uh, your career because of some choices you make regarding what's important to you as opposed to what the boss thinks you ought to believe is important. There's going to be times, uh, you know, that you're going to face afflictions. There will be times, perhaps, where you'll face afflictions from the brethren even. And, uh, and yet uh, there, is, uh, there is something to be said about identifying with the people of God and bearing our afflictions together. Something about going through it together, you know. 
And I tell you what, it's a lot, it's a lot easier if we are able to bear one another's burden, uh, burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ and bear one another's afflictions and so fulfill the law of Christ. And he, he did that. He said, I want to suffer affliction, but I want to do it with the people of God, uh, with the people of God. Uh, you know, the world has its set of afflictions too, and uh, they're going through afflictions without the, the God of the people or the people of God. They're going through afflictions without that. And you know about afflictions, when they happen to us, uh, God has a way of lightening them up for us, you know. God has a way of lightening them up for us. He says it, Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians 4, 17. You ever read about his afflictions? Yeah, you did. You've read about his afflictions. They weren't, none of us have experienced those to the, any degree that Paul did. I mean, uh, you know, how many times is he shipwrecked? I mean, to be shipwrecked once, is bad enough. But I think it happened to him three times, you know, and it, and uh, he had to spend all day and all night a few times in the ocean uh, you know, fighting off the sharks and, and that, you know. Um, you know, and um, it's, it's pretty, pretty bad. It's pretty bad when you get beaten with a cat of nine tails 39 times and multiply that nine tails, all of them having, you know, uh, lead pieces or pieces of glass or something to tear your flesh and, and to bruise your flesh. Nine times, and uh, you know, uh, uh, thirty-nine stripes times nine. Uh, it's bad enough to try to recover from that once, but he had to do it twice, and then three times, and then a fourth time, and then a fifth time. Uh, what did his back look like? I think by the fifth time, there must not have been anything but scar tissue left on the back there. You know, by the time they got through with him, but uh, he'd been stoned, uh, he'd been torn, you know, uh, limb from limb, and crowds, uh, you know, fighting over him and fighting him. Uh, he'd been through a lot. And he said all those things, and he listed a bunch more that I haven't accounted. He said, on top of all those things, the care of the church has come upon me daily. So he's got all these burdens, trying to keep people from being mad at each other, and trying to keep people from, you know, uh, leaving their wives and leaving their husbands and trying to keep families from, you know, uh, losing their testimony, trying to keep churches on track for soul winning and winning uh, people to Christ and getting the gospel around the world. And he's got the care of the churches on him as well as an apostle of Jesus Christ. All those things come together. And so you could say that Paul led a life that had some degree of afflictions. And they, he said, in addition to that, I've got this uh, physical ailment, whatever it was, that he said, I've asked the Lord to give me deliverance from it three different times, and God has told me uh, finally to shut up about it and just live with it because he said, uh, he said I, want you to, I don't want you to uh, uh, be un, uh, uh, needlessly, uh, needle, needlessly tempted by the power that uh, I have placed in your life and by the power that is in you uh, for the work of Christ. I don't want you to be needlessly tempted to... to, to think it has anything to do with you. So, uh, so you got this affliction that it keep you humble, you know. And he said, I, I want to tell you, with the affliction, I'm going to make it, uh, I'm going to make it, make you able to bear it. I'm going to give you the ability to, to be able to handle it. And uh, that, you know, when I get a little sore throat or I stub my toe, I, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, I can't go on to the ministry anymore. I just can't, I can't do this. It's just too much, you know. Uh, but, uh, Thank God for, for the truth that uh, these things that uh, are afflictions and really uh, really serious afflictions in life are ones that God has already told us he, he would uh, help us through. And Paul said it this way. He said he called his afflictions light. He said, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we uh, look not at the things which are seen, but 
at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, they're temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So he's talking about his afflictions, and we've seen the list of them, and they're way more than we've ever, any of us have ever gone through. And he says those are light afflictions, you know. I don't even hardly remember them. Don't even hardly remember them because uh, the Lord has brought into my mind, flooded into my mind, all the eternal weight of glory uh, that I traded, uh, that I traded for the pleasures of the world. So, so it's, a, it's a good trade. It's a good thing to do. To be, to be reproached along with the right company is a lot better than to be applauded along with the wrong company. And I want to I want to be identified with the right company. I, I want to be identified with you folks, and uh, I want to be identified with people that love the Lord and love His book. And uh, I'd rather be reproached with you than applauded with the crowd that's getting all the applause and the vainglory and all that stuff going on. So uh, His faith uh, did something else, though it closed the door to the death angel while opening the way through the sea. And we read that in verse twenty-eight and twenty-nine, how that uh, by biblical faith, uh, you know. Uh, the fact that God is and that God's word is the truth, that, that uh, application of biblical faith, we see that uh, that gave Moses the grace to forsake Egypt. And it will do the same for you and I. Biblical faith will do that for us. It will help, uh, help us to uh, uh, be able to, uh, to practice what Moses practiced. That, and, and as you read it there, you see in verse 27 that uh, uh, he forsook Egypt. What's that mean for us? Egypt has always been in the Bible a type of the world, of course. And so the forsaking of worldliness and worldly things and worldly pleasures and carnal things and sinful things, that uh, grace and help to do that comes with uh, practicing a biblical faith. Getting out of the bonds, out of the bounds of worldly thinking. And so uh, we need that. Uh, you, uh, you'll have something else when you exercise biblical faith, this kind that Moses had. You'll have you'll have um, the ability to overcome those fears. You won't be controlled by fear. You know, he says uh, there, uh, by faith, they passed through the Red Sea, uh, or excuse me, verse 27, by faith uh, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured to seeing him who is invisible. You see, they, they uh, uh, twice in the passage we read, we see deliverance from fear. We see Moses' parents delivered from the fear of the king, and now we see Moses. He's uh, following mom and dad's example. He's uh, being delivered from the fear of the king, not fearing, uh, the, not fearing the wrath of the king, not fearing the wrath of Pharaoh. So you, you'll have the same thing when you exercise biblical faith. You won't be controlled by fears. You won't be controlled by the fear of the world, by the fear of men, by the, the fear of, uh, you know, what might happen. You won't be controlled by fears. You won't be afraid of not being accepted by everyone. You know, and that's a big thing for all of us. Everybody, I mean, most people, maybe not everybody. I met a few people that didn't seem to care whether they were liked or not, you know. Uh, but most of us, you know, most of us, you know, we, if, if we had a choice between being liked or being disliked, we'd, we'd check the box that said, I'd like to be liked, you know. Uh, so uh, none of us wants to be disliked, but... Uh, but this faith will give you a deliverance from the fear of being disliked. Because you are going to be disliked. Jesus said, Jesus said, if they dislike me, but he used a stronger word. He said, if they hate me, they're going to hate you too. And so we might have the fear of people hating us. You know, I don't want anybody to hate me. I don't want people to hate me. Uh, and certainly none of us do. But if they hate you for your testimony for Christ, if they hate you because you care for their soul and you keep telling them that they need to 
come to Christ and be saved, if they, you know, if they just can't stand being around you because, uh, you know, they're convicted by the fact that you, that you care for them and you want them to, uh, to know that they're saved, you want them to change, you want them to repent, uh, you know, they may end up in expressions that look a lot like hate. But um, you and I, uh, you know, could, could be controlled by that and say, well, I just fear people not liking me. And so I'm going to be a little careful about my, my, you know, speaking up for the Lord. I'm just not going to, I'm just going to, you know, kind of leave that, leave that go and let somebody else be the one. But it, there may be nobody else that can be the one that is going to reach this person that you have an influence over. There, might, there just might not be. That other person that, that will get there. I thank God that somebody in my high school class spoke to me about my soul, you know. I thank God there's only one person uh, in all my high school class. I went to a large public high school. Only one person invite, invited me to church and, and encouraged me and kept after me. You know, only one person ever did that. Nobody else in all those years. And, and you know, of course, uh, uh, that... that uh, one person was the one that made the difference. Jim Smith, you know, uh, finally got me to go to church, you know, with him. And, and uh, it didn't take very long to be in the house of God among God's people and seeing the difference. In what I'd, see, I'd been in religion. I'd seen religion. Um, but I hadn't seen much Christianity, you know. I'd seen religion, but uh, not much of that. But uh, one person made a difference, you know, one person. And, uh, and you may be that one person that's going to make the difference for somebody else. But if you let fear dictate, uh, you know, you're just afraid they're going to be mad at you. You're afraid they're going to, you know, finally just slam the door in your face. You're afraid they're going to say, I don't want you over anymore. You're afraid, uh, you know, you're afraid of those things. That, that's, the, that's allowing fear to control you. And uh, the Bible tells us that Moses' faith delivered him from that fear uh, of Pharaoh in his case. And it will deliver us from our fears as well. We won't fear the, the uh, idea of not being accepted. or won't fear the dislike uh, that will be ours if we uh, stand for Christ. And so God help us with that. You'll have also the grace and the strength to endure. As, as he said uh, there in verse 27, the last part, he endured. He endured. He, he was able to, to uh, carry on. And, and uh, he endured troubles. And he endured hard things. And he endured temptations. He was able to overcome temptations because God gave him the grace to endure. And he'll give you that same grace too if you exercise faith, this biblical faith. Well, you'll see things you couldn't see before. That's the, that's the last great truth here. We look at Moses there and in uh, the last part of verse 27 there it says, As seeing him who is invisible as visualizing him who is invisible, as seeing him who is unseeable. <laughs> we will see things we couldn't see before if we exercise faith. Faith opens your eyes to stuff, you know, and you get it, you see it. And so uh, thank God for that example that we have in Moses and his faith. Let's stand together, give an invitation tonight. You need to come and uh, talk to the Lord here at the altar about your faith and, and uh, faithfulness. Uh, you do that.